Hello, welcome to the Full English, the United Kingdom's Airbnb podcast, the place to learn how to buy, host and grow your Airbnb business, specifically in the United Kingdom, helping you to learn, grow and become an Airbnb success. Hi, welcome to this week's show. Today I'm speaking with Guy Robinson, London and Cambridge short-term rental expert. From English teacher to estate agent to Airbnb entrepreneur, Guy tells us his whole story, how he has achieved huge amounts over the last eight years, uh, with now about 70 properties in his portfolio. In this episode, we talk about how to get started, how to find landlords to work with, uh, the thorny issue of the London 90-day rule, uh, the best short-term rental conferences, and much, much more. It's a good one, so it doesn't need any more introduction from me. Let's get straight into the show. Hi, Guy. Welcome to the show. Hi, Mike. Thanks very much for having me. You're very welcome. Uh, it's a great pleasure. Great pleasure to have you on today, Guy. Um, <coughs> Guy, you've got um, Airbnb properties uh, in London and in Cambridge. I know you own some of them. Lots of them you um, run for other landlords. Um, we've had some really interesting conversations offline i know you've got lots to tell us really across the board it's always a great great place to start for you to just tell us a little bit about what you did previously and how you got into property and then subsequent to that how you got into the short-term marketplace and i think that will lead us in nicely to some of the other things that we'd like to talk about today oh sure um yeah great well we are we are we trade under the name the perfect host um so we are predominantly a management company and uh, now the perfect host can be um, kind of categorized uh, into the perfect group, I like to think. So we, we now have a cleaning company, a linen company, and a maintenance company on top of the management. So uh, I like to separate the, the companies out into management, cleaning, uh, linen, towels, and laundry and such, and maintenance, as they all have different activity and sort of work independently of each other, but come obviously come together to support each other in the hospitality world um we started i started i'm i'm the only director um of um the first three companies and the maintenance company i have two two uh, co-directors um it all started with a a property i had an ex-council flat but it's a leasehold property that i own it's not a council flat it's an ex-council flat so the council sold it to me about 12 years ago in camden it's a, just a small very no frills, one bed. And I was working as, a, as an estate agent within the Camden area, Primrose Hill, um, quite a nice affluent part, lots of estate agents around there. Mm-hmm. And it, it was a little independent. Um, it wasn't my favorite job. Uh, estate agents, you know, have quite, can have a, a badish rep specifically, but um, certainly in London, because they are really, they, they call you up and bother people all the time I mean obviously they're just you know touting for business but that's London could be rather overrun by agents particularly in affluent areas so I was sort of right in the thick of that um I guess nine eight eight or nine years ago but it gave me a really nice introduction to property I always fancied myself as a bit of a salesman um but I hadn't really had that 
opportunity coming from English teaching. So after English teaching, which I found to be fun, but not very well paid, um, I thought, where can I best utilize my salesman skills? And estate agency felt, felt like a, um, a good introduction to that. And it was, and I was thrown in right at the deep end. I was going around knocking on people's doors. It, it was all about what, what it taught me was, it was all about um, landlords and vendors, as we called them. And in Airbnb short term, mm-hmm refer to them as as hosts or owners um Mm -hmm. i remember my boss saying you know applicants so in airbnb lingo guests are 10 a penny which essentially they are if the property is presented correctly and presented nicely guests will come what the important thing in 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 this kind of business is securing those properties and with that property that client that owner that vendor that landlord whatever you want to call it so mm-hmm. he saw me as the chap to kind of get more of those on board so he sent me out into the street he said hustle 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 knock on doors knock on doors you know a break down the door to get that property on <laughs> call them again call them again call them again oh goodness it was it was a pain because you know i'd be told to shove off a lot of times mm-hmm. by and I, I didn't really enjoy that um, so that kind of relentless pushing of sales, relentless sell, uh, that agents do long hours and, um, for not huge rewards eventually put me off. And my friend said, uh, oh God, you've got to try this Airbnb thing. Um, and it was just as it was really taking off Airbnb. And I had this little flat that I was living in with a mate. We were in a room each and my mother happened to have a flat that she was living in, in London. And I sort of needed the mom, money. And I said, mummy, can I come and move in with you for a bit? I just want to try this out. So she kindly let me take her spare bedroom uh, for a bit. And I popped the flat on Airbnb. And I was I was amazed at the results. Um, and I'd say, you know, it was, it was going for £3,000 a month. And a typical long-let AST, a long-let contract. Mm-hmm. Long-let contract would be, for a one-bed in London, would be about maximum 1500 pounds a month at that time mm-hmm. putting off the shelves at 100 150 a night producing around three three thousand a month so there was a clear you know that something switched in my head then as all right you're onto something here and because i worked nearby i was able to pop over and i don't know clean the sheets clean the flat uh um sort the guests out, let them in, uh, open the key, lock the, sort the keys out and so on. And all of the, the, the foibles that come with managing a short let. And you, then I, did all, you did all of that manually then to start with, understandably. I did. Mm. I did. I suppose I found cleaning agencies were, were quite plentiful in London. So I managed to get hold of a cleaning company, but there'd always be a slip up somewhere. Or, or a Sunday or an odd day and you know there'd always be a problem mm-hmm. washing linen I mean I would have I would have sheets and pillowcases and towels draped across every door in the flat every you know crevice I could find there'd be some kind of sheet or towel drying on it yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that just you know naturally and obviously led to uh, the idea of managing this as a career and with a with the um, the, the knowledge and connections that I'd found and made having been a state agent for two years, I was perfectly placed <clears throat> to move away from this job that I didn't like 
um, with a couple of uh, of landlord sort of friends that I befriended. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And often in London, you know, often, you know, you get it, well, often all, all over the UK, you'll find portfolio landlords with a whole host of flats they've acquired during the 80s and 90s for cheap and they've held on to them, good for them. And they're sort of getting a little bit bored of the long-term model, perhaps. And mm-hmm. I used to go for lunch, go for a drink, chat on the phone and say, look, I've got this little funny little flat. And look, look at the numbers I made last month. And they go, goodness, guy, I've got, I've got, um, I've got fifteen of those, you know. Uh, maybe we should mm-hmm. have, a, we could have a go. Um, maybe we could, maybe we could try it. So, I said, um, yeah. I mean, I mean, I said, well, why not? I mean, you know, you can't do, it, you, you can't do it yourself. They'd say, we definitely don't want to do that. We don't want to do any work whatsoever. Go and have a look. Go and have a look. So I, I remember going around to Islington and <clears throat> Camden and these 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 various chaps uh, properties and they'd be sparsely mm-hmm. furnished, cheaply furnished. And I just knew that, you, you know, it had to get up to an Airbnb standard. And I used to say, right, I'll go to Ikea for you for free. Um, I don't know why I said that. I wasn't being very entrepreneurial at the time, but I just felt like winning, winning the, the pitch, winning the property was just paramount. Mm-hmm. And then money would come rolling in once I set it up and I felt like, if I start to start quibbling about setup fees and 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 this and that, they're going to go off the idea. So I said, you know what? I'll pay for it up front, and then I'll take the the, the the furnishings and utensils and appliance money from the rental income. And it worked. I used to spend and I I would spend days and sometimes nights in IKEA with three trolleys and just some kind of music blaring in my ears mm-hmm. down the market. Great place to start, by the way, IKEA. It has every single household utensil and household <clears throat> item that you could ever dream of in terms of setting up a short let apartment so how much were you spending in ikea then in those early days um yeah well, spent more towards like the lower end of what you'd spend now but it'd just be interesting to maybe you can't remember it's a few years ago isn't it but well, a couple of thousand a couple of thousand a time yeah um, if, if we're talking monetary then yes um you know obviously it depends sometimes properties are uh, part furnished where <clears throat> large items of furniture are provided a landlord will often do it that way he'll chuck in a sofa and beds and then he'll say to a long-term tenant may be expected that they may bring their own little bits with them and um, so I would often find you know rather kind of cheap put together beds you know iffy mattresses but we'd ultimately as management I couldn't I, I, I couldn't authorize myself to buy the mattress if they didn't want to buy the mattress so if they said you know spend as little as you can then we'd tidy up the mattress we'd put some big wraps around it you know mattress covers and then another mattress topper freshen it up as we can without it being unhygienic of course or 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 health and safety Um, and we and we'd push ahead and the landlords would often opt to do it as cheaply as possible for obvious reasons because they weren't quite sure it was going to work and then it, it did work. It, it really did. And I find that um, with my property as a subsidy, saying making me 100 quid a day or even 80 quid a day, and then another two on 15%, perhaps bolstering that to 130 pounds a day. And I was mm-hmm. I was about 20, 27, uh, 28 at the time that actually I could get by on that. And I thought, you know, I'm now in a position to leave my job be autonomous work to my own hours and 
I didn't mind running around IKEA. I just liked the idea of being free and mm. myself. Um, it was such a luxury to just say goodbye to those polyester suits and that agent lifestyle and to then go, goodness, I can have my, just enough money in the bank to feed myself and I can now run around doing what I want when I want. And uh, I loved it. I took to it immediately. And it felt like a more of an honest, it felt like a more of an honest, um, honest profession. There was a clear difference between management and letting or selling because you don't have to let the property. You don't have to make calls. You don't have to cold call. Airbnb presentation marketing does that for you. We mm. have to manage the property once that booking comes in. Uh, you know, so the, the relationship between the the owner is a lot more honest and simple. Where you're, you, you do a good job managing, and they're happy. There's not a huge amount of pressure on you to make that call to get that buyer, make that call to get that lettings, which was the what I didn't like because in a state agency that can sometimes twist people's um, I don't know, direction, twist people's motivation to to maybe tell a porky pie to, mm. Um, mm. to get that deal done. Maybe, but, it, but, but what you do need, and you have touched on it earlier, the one thing that you do need is more and more other landlords and you do need to find a way and put pressure on yourself to find those. Um, and so I suppose that brings us on to the next question. You quit your job, you've got enough money to just about get by it. Then obviously you're thinking in your head, I need to find more of these landlords and yeah. uh, and expand and grow. Uh, how, how have you gone about that, to, A, to start with, but B, generally moving forwards now as well? Well, you know, I have to say word of mouth. It is, it is such a powerful tool. I would say if you're in your your city, your hood, <laughs> you know, and you've got a network of friends and family around you, which I, I did. I'm, I'm a Londoner. And I'm a Cambridge, you know, a Cambridge boy. I've been lucky enough to live between both. Um, school in Cambridge, boarding school for five years, gave me a good network in Cambridge with family around. And then London in early days where we would travel to Cambridge every weekend. And then in the 20, in my 20s and with my mother's um, sort of place occasionally available to, to, to stay in and my flat, <clears throat> I just loved the London life like everyone else. The 20s did so again with all my pals and um relatives relatives friends family the word went round pretty quickly that guy was the the airbnb guy and i think mm -hmm. because it was eight years ago and there was really no one no one else doing it i mean there were a couple who are some of the the big boys now um housed uh, as they were they were around they were air sorted originally and so it was very early days, so there were no management companies. There were no results on Google to, to find a management company. So the, the phone would ring. I've heard that you do this, and I've heard that this is a good little money spinning. Mm. But we are going away. We are we are incapable of doing the management ourselves, and we heard that you do it. I wouldn't say I've been a hard drive into marketing to scale up quickly. I'd grow, grew slowly, uh, very slowly. Um, but that worked for me because I wanted to organically build the team. And we had one cleaner who is now head of housekeeping across Cambridge and London. And 70 mm -hmm. properties were out now. So she was the cleaner. And I knew that cleaning was paramount. 
and important. And if we grew too quickly, she'd be overwhelmed, she'd leave, and the whole thing would fall apart. And that once at five properties, running it as an individual, you're on decent money. That 130 could easily change to say 250, 300 pounds a day, you know, Mm -hmm. not a fortune. But when you're in your 20s and you're taking that home seven days a week and you don't have to share it with anyone and you don't have any overheads, no office. Uh, and when I say any overhead, of course, there's all of the costs that come with the Airbnb management, cleaning, linen, so on. But those can all be recharged to guests and to owners. Um, there really is very little to have to worry about in terms of just residing in a property myself and um working and having a, a laptop and being on call almost all the time, which was, yeah. that's the debilitating part of it. But then at, at 300 pounds a day, I was laughing. God, this is fantastic. Um, and I'm in them only between five and 10 properties, say. And then it's, it's, I guess, the word of mouth kept coming and we were very quickly up to 20 and up to 30. And then, but then came that, those hurdles of, Oh, now I'm a real business. I'm not yeah. a sole, sole trader for a while. I was a sole trader for a long time. Um, and then it was, oh, VAT. Oh, goodness, what's that? I don't even know what it is. So let's learn about that. Let's Anyway, yeah, so word of mouth, I'd say. We did some soft social media campaigns far later into the, into the game, sort of five yeah. years down the road. But yeah. still today... Word of mouth, word of mouth, and a, and a better Google presence of Airbnb management. Cambridge, I think we're first, the perfect host. Um, Airbnb management, London, we'd be a lot lower down. But, you know, it, again, it grows at a nice pace for us. There are examples of companies growing too quickly, boasting of thousands of properties around the world and going bust. One of them is Hostmaker. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say it, mm-hmm. but... You know, mm-hmm. Uh, Hostmaker was a, a nice company. I've I met the founder a couple of times. They went bust, and they are they're, they're all over the internet as to sort of it's quite an interesting project to read what happened, what went wrong. I think growing too quickly in this game is very dangerous because you need yeah. a, you need a hand and an, an eye and a personal relationship with every client who comes on board. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Good, good, good. So. You've got to sort of take us a little bit of a segue between sort of the early days uh, and where we're up to now. You've told us that you've, there's four distinct companies, linen, cleaning, management and maintenance. Uh, and there's obviously there's a story to be told here in terms of to start off with you running around like a blue ass fly, one yeah. property at a time, doing some cleaning yourself and so on. And you've yeah. gone on a journey to now have four distinct companies. Um, I'd be fascinated to learn a, li- a little, little bit more about that and the journey that you went on and why you've chosen and decided to break it into these four distinct businesses and the benefits of that and so on. I think the breaking of the, the companies is more um, tax efficiency and tax reasons. Yeah. You know, I'm very conscious about being you know, above board and by the book with them. Um, tax there's i found that you know vat can be quite a hurdle to overcome because of just that 20 percent increase mm-hmm. so and there's an only an eighty five thousand cutoff turnover for each company <clears throat> and basically i think if one can separate you know with all of the all of the legal um 
advice taken into account, one can separate companies to try to avoid VAT as long as possible. I think that's beneficial because a 20% increase on a cleaning bill can be substantial and off-putting. We do domestic cleaning. We have individual cleaning clients. And as far as Mm. I'm aware, um, the activity between the four companies is different. Um, Therefore, they work independently of each other. And they all have their own clients. I push for the clean. Now, cleaning, you know, the markups and are very small, very different. Cleaners, good cleaners ask for quite a lot of money these days in terms of a fairly menial, I don't mean to be rude, but a menial job that yeah. um, sometimes our cleaners don't even speak English. Um, and that's fine. But I don't mind because we have a Ukrainian housekeeping manager who has a wonderful network of Ukrainian friends and family. And so that's fine. Um, but they can often command decent wages. Um, so, you know, you have to remember in domestic cleaning that you're competing with perhaps a an individual who lives in the neighborhood um, who might just have a few clients and might uh, charge X amount. And you as an agency are trying to put on a markup to cover your agency costs. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you've suddenly got to put VAT on because... Now, now that individual is never going to have to put VAT on. They're never mm. usually, they might be doing it as a bit of a side hustle. They may be a, they may be a full-time mum. Mm. They may have a bit of cash on the side. They're not going to be turning over 85 plus and be a, a limited company. So are, those my, bus- are those four businesses purely linked to your operations as uh, the Airbnb business, or do you do a, do you have go off and get other maintenance contracts that have nothing to do with your we, we with do. your short term? Yeah. So they we are really quite distinct businesses, aren't they? They are. We do, the, but I would say the sole purpose of cleaning and linen is to prop up the perfect host, which is the main, the main business here, and certainly the most lucrative business is the perfect host management. Now, you know, we are one of one of uh, say a mid-sized business of seventy properties 70 units as the americans might say mm. that have in-house cleaning and linen teams some of the larger ones might but some of the smaller ones definitely don't and have to have to outsource cleaning and linen to other companies we do linen for other small management companies so we mm. our linen goes around to say a management company with five or six properties but mm. they are paying a premium that perhaps our customers wouldn't have to pay because the perfect host and perfect linen are brother and sister and therefore they support each other because that customer will be paying the perfect linen the perfect clean and the perfect host so there's three companies that might make a bit there but the perfect host would make the majority so if the perfect clean breaks even or even loses a bit it's there to prop up management I've always said half the battle is cleaning and linen with these shortlets we do two nights minimums we don't do one night for party risks and for also you don't want your weekend to be scuppered by someone just booking a Saturday. Mm. We do two nights. I'm experimenting with longer lets, four nights, even a week lot and longer, and they're going quite well, certainly in Cambridge. Uh, they are a lot less work too, and they still pay very good money to stay longer term. Um, but, you know, I like to keep our cleaners in business too. So they're certainly very much a two-nighter company too because then then the, the the cleaners are working more they're staying on the books they're happy but you've got to get those you know, those cleaning fees right because you've got to pay 
you got to pay the cleaner. You've got to pay hotel quality linen and towels. Now we, which we get from a large supplier in East Anglia. I mean, mm. they're actually wide, but they, we do not wash and dry our own, which I'm quite relieved about because machines, as I've seen with the, even with this company, machines break and sheets, mm. sheets and pillowcases soil, whether that be a mark, whether that be a rip, I don't have to worry about that because that wholesale company is replacing and replenishing those sheets and pillowcases for me constantly. I'm not yeah. having to do that. But if we were doing washing machines and dryers, we'd have to be replacing those, therefore co constantly buying more stock. So yeah. I pay more of a wholesale price on the on the on the piece of item of linen itself, and then yeah. sell that linen to the perfect host. So the, the perfect linen would sell that that bed pack to the perfect host, or it will sell it to other independent clients. Um, I can very much have the discretion on whether we bother taking that client on or not. We have enough to do. Uh, and, uh, you know, if the, if the price is right, we'll do it because we have a van going around all day, every day, um, delivering and collecting linen. So to pick up a well-located large house with seven bedrooms in it, where I can be guaranteed a seven bed, you know, changeover yeah. every couple of days, there's money to be made there. So, we'll do it um and it's important for it's important for individual companies for to have their own clients too um for the tax man yeah it's always a difficult thing as well isn't it this kind of balance between should you do stuff in-house or should you outsource it and um it feels like that's something that you've probably spent quite a lot of time and effort on and sort of trying trying to strike the right balance there in that respect um because yeah. you're explaining bits here which you keep it in house and bits where you're saying you know what it's much better if that's um if that's outsourced yeah yeah maintenance is the new one that's the exciting one the perfect fix so uh, we've always yeah. we've always stayed away from it because it it's but it's become impossible to ignore because uh you have to you know tradesmen and plumbers can be difficult to find especially good ones and then keeping them keeping them on the books and giving them enough work and also not getting ripped off or not perhaps knowing if you're getting ripped off because I'm not a maintenance expert and then having to mm. run by owners 70 owners uh, with constant maintenance issues going on the idea was the perfect fix brings in the maintenance you know in in-house let's call it and um allows us allows a, a, a money to be made to to employ a manager a sole manager of the perfect fix which we have with with extensive building and maintenance knowledge which mm. i don't have and mm. also a plethora a, rep, uh, a plethora of tradesmen on his on our books who we can go to with regular work um and we and and fix up those property bulbs i mean bulbs rubbish bins that the list is endless uh what does it work well then does it work well so again, again obviously with that you've gone on a journey haven't you? you've started off by kind of just going around phoning up people yourself going to the yellow pages phoning up a plumber phoning up an electrician um that formalization process you that could go two ways couldn't it you could have owners thinking 
that you're trying to overly monetize the maintenance of their property if you've bought it in-house um the flip side is is maybe it should genuinely much better um and works and and genuinely works better there may be a monetization of course there has to be it's a business Mm. they're welcome to overrule us and they're welcome to go and find their own maintenance um but i'm i'm bringing it in as a it's supposed to help it's supposed to we now part of the maintenance we are introducing maintenance subscriptions um because there are certain areas of looking after a property that can't necessarily be controlled by housekeeping or by management um mm. such as dishwasher salt rinse aid is rather boring stuff but it's important emptying of lint trays of dryers emptying of the gunk from washing machines that may not be addressed by a um a cleaner who has three hours to turn over that property before the next people come in Mm. so that appliance will break um if it's not seen to and now in my eyes that is a maintenance remit and if i can then offer that service for a preferred price let's call it a subscription for our maintenance team to come over twice a month to filter that washing machine to to top up that rinse save mm. it's saving the life of those machines which will conk out and have conked out and then we have a huge problem on our hands because then you're dealing with refunds hundreds if not thousands of pounds and it's, yes. and it's just adding as well isn't it you know if you go and stay in one of these places and you put the dishwasher on and the glasses come out and they're sparkling it makes a difference doesn't it Absolutely. You probably half expect, I think you half expect them to come out all kind of um, you know, smoky or you know how they come out, come and milk, milky, don't they? Um, they come out shiny and that's just, um, it's a nice touch, isn't it? An attention Absolutely. to detail. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's no right or wrong way of going about it, but that's my opinion on it. This is a, still a fairly young industry and it hasn't been that, that much detailed property management in this sense because short-term lets were never as popular and mm. uh, different from a hotel room we've got you know there might be six areas in a house that need attention mm. that, that a hotel is completely different look at the bed look at the coffee machine bathroom that's it you're out um there's so much that can go wrong and it's backfired sometimes because a property owner will come back and I'll get it in the neck because we've missed we've missed that red wine stain on the corner of the carpet. And we have. Mm. I hold my hands up. But what happened in the past in the early days, especially with people's houses, which I didn't like doing. But when I would get a Chelsea, London, Southwest Chelsea five bed come along that would go mm. for £1,000 a night. I'm doing the numbers in my head on commission. That's 100. And I remember I'm running this by myself. So I'm thinking 150 pounds a day just for me on that one house. Four of those, I'm on 600 a day. That's a very respectable amount of money. And I'm mm-hmm. on with four houses. Easy, I'm thinking. But but no, you know, you you the person then says, right, we're going away for two months in the summer. We're coming back. And by the way, this house is a beautiful and we're full of antiquities and art <laughs> and the Persian mm-hmm. rug. And then you... You off you go and you you're filling it up and they're in and out, in and out. And we were doing our job as best we can. And hey, guess what? There is a red wine spillage on a corner of that Persian rug that's been missed. And the owners, mm. owners have come back and absolutely given me hell over it. And they've gone, why wasn't it spotted? And why didn't you 
why therefore didn't you go back to the guest and pull them up on it and take from the deposit? And you're going, you know what? I don't have an answer. Now, now you know, that may sound, sound irresponsible, but, but if this is a tiny mark on a priceless piece of furniture, it is very difficult to spot these things. Mm, and I mm. cough up myself to keep the, I did cough up myself um, to, or the company coughed up, however you want to call it, uh to pay for that so what's that what's what's the lesson there then i mean if well, i was being um if i my comment on that would probably be if you've got loads of priceless antiquities in your house yeah. and you don't want to run a risk of some damage to them mm. don't put your house on airbnb and uh, let people run around it um, well, while you're on holiday um Perhaps I should have said no, but I, I never did. I took on every single property my way, every single one from the. Yeah. And do you regret that in any way or, or um, think, with hindsight, was that the right thing to have done? Um, I was listening to one of your other podcasts who were more particular about their properties and wanted to go check every check. Every rule was allowed. And uh, we didn't um, because I my no, I think I made the right decision because mm. I, in terms of bringing up briefly what one of your other former podcasts said regarding permissions to let their property, in my eyes, that is the responsibility of the owner. That's none of my concern. We are a services company. You know, if you want to break it down, we open doors, <clears throat> give out keys and clean the property. You know, why should we have to get involved with what the their requirements on their mortgage are or their mm. lease yeah. are um, yeah, yeah, yeah. so on that i would take on a i wouldn't necessarily feel i have to ask too many questions if i'm satisfied that person has permission to be in the property and it's clearly theirs and they've got the keys i will we will do our job for them and we did and we took so we we would have one minute we'd be in hackney in a tower block putting putting people into a studio up there and the next i'd be off the King's Road in Chelsea, mm. someone in a, in, a, in a five bed with prices antiquities everywhere. You know what? Um, that's just to kind of, that, that's the difference, isn't it, between uh, my previous guest, who is um, has sort of been professionally qualified and has been through all these various layers of professional qualifications and members of professional bodies, um, and a young entrepreneur. It's yeah. two very different scenarios, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, good. Oh, I'm I'm pleased you categorised it like that. I'll take the young entrepreneur. Yeah. Later. Um. Uh, yes, maybe. Yes, I think that's probably. He he was very well trained, and uh, uh I wasn't. <laughs> so moving on a little bit. Um. You've got we've kind of get, beginning to get quite a good understanding of kind of how this business has built up and lots of stuff coming through word of mouth and a little bit of a internet presence and so on. Um, so it sounds like you've sort of managed to work your way to a position where there's people coming to you on a fairly regular basis and saying, "I've got property. Do you think you could manage it for me?" Um, what do you look for? Do you how do you run that process? Um, are you still in a situation where you will take on every property uh, which someone comes uh, and offers to you um do you go and meet all of these people um tell us a little bit about how you kind of manage that process now when people come to you yeah how do you take it from uh, whether it's an email or a phone call how do you take it from that 
to a live property um, not 10 years ago, but how do you do that now? Uh, yeah, they come in various mediums for emails, phone calls, um, via the website mostly. We've recently merged with a smaller company in Cambridge. So we keep that website going too. So we kind of have two websites online. And mm -hmm. uh, oh, definitely, I go straight for the meeting. That's what I do. I'm, I'm pretty good at meet, and it's usually me or my general manager, Amy, or both of us. Um, we, we're, we're, we're very good at presenting. We're very good at, um, I think there's nothing better to be said than a face-to-face, eye-to-eye meeting in the property. And usually people are quite willing to jump straight to that. It's almost, when do you want to come round? And I'll say, now, or I'll say tomorrow. Mm -hmm. You've got to jump on it. And uh, you've got to go. And I've been given keys by that person within about an hour of meeting them because I don't know, we just, we get on, something clicks. I'm good at my job. I'm extremely knowledgeable in it. They get a good feeling and they go, you're the man for the job guy. Here are the keys because I think you probably want to start getting things going. Do you have a presentation or is it all just kind of um, score off the cuff? Go, go and talk about it. We have brochures, we have a brochure, we have a leaflet and we have business cards and we have our website. And we have various um, sort of case studies on the website and photographs that we can show of our of our VIP properties. We we have mm -hmm. some I refer to as VIP because they may be they may be particularly uh, lucrative. We may we have a penthouse in Covent Garden that's listing soon. We're going to be up towards two thousand pounds a night. Mm -hmm. um, we have a very special church conversion in Duxford, a village outside Cambridge, a beautifully, beautifully crafted church conversion. Of course, it's nice to show off those kind of properties, because if we've got those on our portfolio, it shows that we mean business. And mm -hmm. we go straight to the meeting, get straight in there. They, you know, often go down that kind of three quotes rule that you'll do with builders and things mm -hmm. like that. We're having three mm -hmm. quotes. And I, we usually win every time uh, because I think we're just about, we're placed just about right with 70 because we're local and we're friendly and we're good. We're not too big and we're not too small because mm. there is something to be said for being big-ish because you need cleaners. We've got 15 cleaners. And if you're too small, you're going to have two. And one of those days, those cleaners are going to be ill and they're mm. not going to work, want to work on Christmas Day, understandably. Um, or bank holiday Monday, and then you're going to suffer. Um, so, but also too big, over 150 properties, you're going to lose that attention to detail. So they often, we often strike up great friendships and relationships immediately. And in the past, I'd be handing out mobile, my personal mobile phone number straight away, and we'd be texting away, mm -hmm. and then that would continue and continue and continue. And it could get difficult at times. Um, I like to think that most people know that boundaries, but I understand as well that clients and guests in hospitality, there really are no boundaries because it's 24 seven. So that the, the texts and phone calls still do come through at midnight on a Sunday. And mm -hmm. um, you have to learn to deal with that. It's, it can be very tough at times. And so I'm going to staying with your question. Um, it's, it's as simple as that. It's meeting, go through everything, use resources and pitches if necessary, not, not usually necessary. They've probably already scoped mm. out 
site, the perfect.host. Pretty cool name, uh, simple as that. Perfect, the perfect.host. They've usually had a good look around that. Then we have a booking portal. So they can go to book now and they can book all of our properties with a credit card directly. I encourage that a lot because you mm. avoid platform fees. So they can then scout out the individual properties. They can refer then to our main Airbnb profile, has a picture of my mug on it and has four and a half thousand reviews. We like to we like to advertise the properties on our profile. That's key here. Uh, uh, so we have full control and then the, the host and the owner doesn't need to worry about it and doesn't need to be bothered by um, messages and mm -hmm. over mm -hmm. information they don't need to know, but, but, but via their own Airbnb profile that can yeah. be solved by using my yeah. And then you've, you've, I'm guessing you've got a mix of some of these are professional landlords. So they, you said earlier, some of these guys have got portfolios, but I bet a lot of them are just one-offs as well. They've got one property. Yes. I, I own four. I and I have about, I have about eight rent to rents. I know that that phrase will be, you know, has been used a lot in your podcast and people know what that means now. Rental arbitrage, people often can call it. This is a, mm -hmm paying a landlord a fixed amount of money to have permission to sublet. Um, you know, again, you've touched on it on other podcasts. It's a very good business model. It's becoming an increasingly popular business model because anyone can do it. We have rent to rent operators who then ask us to manage it. Mm. So they, they're working on tight margins because then they've got to pay us 15 mm. plus 20 and they've got to pay their rents. Now, when I rent to rent, slightly different because I'm the owner of the company. So I can I can give myself a preferred rate. I can, whatever, it, when, if the company makes money, I do. And if I make money on the rent to rent, even better. Mm. What do you do prefer? Uh, rent to rent. <laughs> rent to yeah. rent, not during COVID. No, thank you. I lost mm -hmm. a lot of money on rent to rents in COVID in London. I, yeah. had, a, I had almost a building of um, 11 studios running you know, the building was a bit of a funny one in Kentish Town, and they weren't really suited to long lets. They had some of them had skylights in them mm. without a window. I wasn't, you know, this isn't dodgy, but it was, you wouldn't want to live in that studio for a long time, but you yeah. wouldn't find a few nights. So it worked. But I kept those 11 going, paying the rents every month, because I thought COVID was going to go away. And once I'd let those studios go, they probably wouldn't come back. That's a heartbreaking decision of relinquishing them and letting them go and losing, say, two months rent of, well, an undisclosed amount um, yeah, yeah. over that. So during COVID, no. And that's the serious risk that hangs over rent to renters. Mm. But on a management, management perspective, you are then removing the owner from the equation. Management has a yeah. very unique style where you have two people to answer to, two clients, yeah. the yeah. owner and the guest. Yeah. That's unusual. So you've got two, you've got, you're working for two people. Now mm -hmm. to rent operation, you're not working for the owner. You're working for yourself and you're working for the guest. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. quite a relief because then you can, you can decide to upgrade that mattress You and just pay the money. You can just downgrade that mattress and save yourself. Yeah. It's all up to you. You, you know, I would encourage uh, making them as nice as possible and comfortable as possible, but but not having that um, 
you know having to ask permission for everything it's such so a... do you, is that in your head then when you say you prefer them is that why is it because they're more lucrative or is it literally because you've got the one one client rather than two to deal with or is it both Luc- both lucrative and one client yeah but um, it comes with a bit of risk as well so and hard on the, harder uh, to get harder to get definitely harder to get and becoming more and more dismissed estate agents will just put the phone down on you um I don't do that. I don't cold call agents. Mm. I don't need to. We've got plenty going on in the business. I don't need rent to rents. If I mm. was hungry, hungry and just a rent to rent operator, mm. I would be calling everyone. And you, they'd be going, no, we don't do that. No, we don't do that. Because people think that there's there's a bad rep that people may put bunk beds up in every single room and fill it as an HMO mm. uh, illegally with um, with bad health and safety. And that's, that happened before Airbnb. People would rent to rent and fill it up with bunk beds because that was the only way to make money. But that's illegal and dangerous. So you want to try and tell people, no, no, we're not doing that. We're just making a lovely luxury service department that's going to be let on the short term. So that's how we make our money. But agents will go, no, agents actually should say yes. <laughs> because a, that's an easy deal for an agent. Easy deal, isn't it? Yeah. Exactly. And also a brown envelope, usually. Yeah, mm. that agent will get an extra brown envelope. And that agent, every time a flat pops up, can give it to that rent-to-rent operator. No questions asked. No viewings needed. Exactly. I don't know why they don't do it. Because then no no viewings. Exactly. Okay. I want to have a conversation with you, Guy, about um, some of the rules and regs around Airbnb. And I think specifically in London, there is there's a 90-day rule in London for short-term rentals um i think i know you've got some opinions on this we've spoken about it offline so yeah i'll just kind of yeah. just sort of ask you sort of the open-ended question really kind of you know tell me about it and, and what oh, it's all well, about yeah i think there's a um it's a, there's a there's a need for airbnb and short-term rentals to grow sustainably and in london it got rather swamped and over overrun by particularly London, it really is and was a hotspot, um, particularly as hotels are so expensive. I'm always shocked at how expensive hotels are. So there was a real need for it. But there is an argument to say that it removes long-term housing from the pool. Long-term housing is needed, especially nurses, teachers, you know, normal people who want to live in London. It can't all be short-term. So that's the point of the 90-day rule. Um, now, some management companies could, uh, some management, some some companies may flout it. Some some hosts and rent-to-rent operators may completely flout it. Some may um, follow it, and usually quite a good tip to follow it is to to do a, a blend of long, mid, mm. short. I'm a fan of mid, um, mm. not long, because I think long is covered by estate agents, but estate agents don't cover mid. My definition mm. of mid is one to six months mm. and then absolutely nail the summer months with a 90 day uh say june july august there's your 90 mm. days mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that's how you know and uh, but it's it's a tricky one because it's nigh on impossible to police mm. uh, without i mean even if airbnb did share their data i, I think there are conversations regarding this i know nothing um, but I don't even know if they do. Um, I think Greater London Authority and 
councils and the UK government worldwide would quite like it, but I don't know how that's going to process that data from so many million mm. things. Um, even if it had been admitted to show that data, one could uh, one could advertise on all of the OTAs, online travel agencies. Now, online mm. travel agencies are just essentially platforms or websites, airbnbbooking.com, VRBO, TripAdvisor, Agoda, Mr. B&B, to name a few. Um, mm. You could you could be on four of those, 90 days each, 90 booking.com, 90 Airbnb, 90 blah, 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 blah. And you've hit your year, you've hit your 365 days. Mm. So even if Airbnb did share their data, you're still... You're still not doing anything wrong. In terms you're still of, probably you're still probably inside the ninety days, aren't you? Yeah. Exactly. Now, um, so without a council representative representative or Greater London Authority, it's a GLA rule. Um, standing on the doorstep of that property with a clipboard all year round, asking, you know, are you a guest? Are you a paying guest? Are you the owner? Are you a family or a friend? You know, mm. why can't the family and friends stay? That's not within ninety day ruling. It's paid guests only. So how on earth are they going to get that? Now, Airbnb are the only um, the only website that introduced a countdown clock that then restricts the listing at, um, at 90 days. And they mm-hmm. shot themselves in the foot there, potentially losing, well, not potentially, losing hundreds of millions of pounds in revenue as the only website. And they rightly hold their hands up and protest because none of the other websites have this countdown clock. Look, we've done that. We, we, we've listened to you, London. We've, we've heard you. Mm. We agree. They are very, they are very supportive of, of um, sustainable shortlets. Um, so we've introduced this clock and the clock was, you know, it's right there. And it's, mm. it's you, you, there are, if one has the necessary permissions, usually planning permission, then always one is a guest mm. house, a hotel, a B&B. Then one can apply to Airbnb to have it removed. Um, but even even that, as Airbnb well knows, is doesn't doesn't stop that person because of the other websites. So yeah, it's a. I don't know what happens next. I think certainly yeah. in Cambridgeshire, we're, where we are slightly more prevalent these days because of COVID, mm. we lost a lot in London. It was a real shame because I'd had some properties, you know, I'd had some properties long, you know, on my books, established relationships with the owners and landlords for a long time. We lost a lot of properties because of COVID. So we moved more into Cambridgeshire, including physically moving myself and my fiance to um, to Cambridge uh, and buying a house. We did that and uh, Cambridge has gone really well, really well. So I'm delighted with the move. It was the right thing to do. And um, there is no 90 days and regulations in Cambridge mm. is in mm. London. But I would say that COVID reset it. And suddenly all of the rent to rent operators, the big boys who would rather irresponsibly just only have buildings on Airbnb, therefore removing those flats, just what I've told, what I've talked mm-hmm. about. Um, they were wiped out and they've gone now. They've gone, mm. they've disappeared, they've incurred their financial losses or dodged dodged the tax man or whatever they've done. I, I knew a, I knew a couple of them. Um, uh, those flats are now back on the market and hopefully there's not going to be such a problem or a surge because people are now worried about COVID so they won't, they're not r- as rapidly doing it anymore so uh, I think it's not such a problem as it was but it's going mm. to be <clears throat> reviewed uh, 
how do you see it what what kind of opinion do you have on the drivers between drivers for sort of future legislation i'm just trying to think about the legislation that there is how much of that has been sort of knee-jerk reaction uh, and do we need more legislation or in actual fact do we not really need any and we should just let it be um a sort of live and let live mentality well i'm going to be slightly biased aren't i with um that's okay let let my my opinion let people what do what they want with their Mm. their expensive assets that they've bought um freeholds and leaseholds come into this debate um but uh uh, um i don't really know what the if there if it's affecting the housing crisis substantially then Mm. maybe there should be and i think it's probably coming um yeah so there are lots of Lots of things being talked about from licensing to in, to increase council tax and things like that. I, I don't know what it's going to look like, but it will probably come. It's not here yeah. yet. Yeah. And then you just mentioned there leaseholders and freeholds. Um, again, with those, we've talked a bit about how you approach um, sort of your general mentality towards uh, properties. And it's, um, you know, if you can get a list in, uh, you're really quite inclined to take it. Um, what challenges are thrown up by um, by freehold, but probably more importantly by leasehold properties, and uh, and how do you get around them? Um, I don't get I don't get involved in the in the leasehold na- uh, finer details of my clients um, because again I think it's up to them to read it mm. decide what they want to do and if they want to take a risk that's their risk. They sign terms and conditions with us that say. You know, you you are aware of what you're doing with your property. We're here to provide you a service. Yeah. Um, um. So I always, my always, my eyes always light up when I go to the meeting and I see the house with its own front door, and it's and it's freehold. But and my 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 eyes, uh, my spirit always falls if I go to a ported mansion block in the middle of Mayfair mm. with a bunch of fifty sort of rabbit hutch flats i just know it's not going to it's not going to happen uh, because the porter's going to see those people come in with wheelie wheelie cases and the porter's going to say no so i'm mm. i will go and have the meeting and go discuss it and then i'll probably say you know what this isn't going to happen this isn't going to work and because there's so mm. much onboarding so much time and resources needed from our end to start the property uh, mm. i may decline it then and there um mm. Now, there's, I'm not an expert on leases. It's a funny old system that the UK has. Uh, I'm not really sure why we have it at all. Um, mm. But, you know, it depends on the age of the lease and whether it's written into it. And then again, how how is it enforced? Each managing agent, which looks after a building, is going to have to find out about it, prove it. I've seen it happen. I've seen... I've seen a, a letter, a polite letter of, we think you're doing this and we'd like you to stop. Mm. That's all I've seen. And on that occasion, the owner may hold their hands up and may perhaps show me, guy, I've got this. They go, oh, right, okay, well, you know, well, then you probably need to stop. Or, but what I'll try and do from a business perspective is retain that management by perhaps helping them with a mid or a long-term let. Mm. And I usually do that. 
I'd rather not. I'd rather I'd rather carry on with what we're doing, what we're best at. Mm-hmm. Um, I've certainly. What about what about logistically speaking? Um, that's on the legal side, and you've come up with one scenario where you said that's just not going to work if you've got a sort of fully ported mm. uh, block in Mayfair or whatever. I can see that wouldn't work, but there's a middle ground there, isn't there? Somewhere between the two, where you've yeah. not got your own front door, but you can still make it work. How do you make that work? But logistically. Um, in terms of you've got kind of two doors to get through haven't you into a property there is. there's a there's a word for exposed entry i can't remember it but there's like balconies that don't have walls on them they're they're mm. exposed the elements we've got a few buildings like that but you do i've even got buildings where you don't have to get through a communal door but you have to rise up some stairs mm. and then go along balconies that are exposed and then go into the flat so is that mm. that's of flats right but it's is it communal door no then mm. i've got a, a, a more typical new builds yes we've got them and again i'm not going to go into, into the nitty-gritty with the owner of whether they have permission or not they may well do um but not my business so but re- regardless of permission though like the guest still physically got to get through haven't they um okay, so logistically getting through we we uh, we will we occasionally meet and greet. We would meet and greet for VIP properties. Meet and greets yeah. don't really work because guests are so late often. We logistically lock boxes for flat buildings are not great because you're then putting a a flat uh, a building key in the sort of open that could be stolen that then puts mm. other residents at risks. I know yeah. it happened. It, it can go on that a lock box is is surreptitiously placed around the corner of a building. They lock boxes come in all shapes and sizes these days. They're detachable mm. ones and they're wall mounted ones. Mm. And we partner with a company called Keynest. Uh, Keynest is a rather rather good little company um, who, who facilitate key exchanges via shops. That's uh, mm. a great idea. Um, the keys are unmarked and the address is not known to anyone including the shopkeeper, because the shopkeeper mm. needs to know. They are assigned to a code, a code that can change every time. And the guest, using our property management software and automation, key to scaling these businesses, mm. uh, will receive a code that that is assigned to that set of keys. When they arrive in the shop, they say, I'm here to pick up keys one, two, three, four. Using their, their smartphone or their device, they type in one, two, three, four, and that device tells the shopkeeper which which compartment those keys are in. Right, mm. open up compartment six and give those keys to the guest. And that is a wonderful key, safe key exchange facility. It's safe, isn't it? It's almost like a banking app, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah, it's great. Fantastic. Yeah. And then they'll go to, you know, if it's a block of flats, regardless of leasehold or rules and permissions, as I say, I don't get involved in that. Off they go to the to the building, tap their fob, in they go. And then we, we are tracking those keys as well. We can see when they've been removed mm. and then they have to be dropped back. You know, ideally, the guests will drop them back and we will see that they've been dropped back. Therefore, we know they've checked out. Therefore, we know the keys are now safe or the cleaner may may take charge of that occasionally as well. So logistically, mm. I'd say that's the best way of doing it. If you're lucky enough to have a key nest nearby, as that's mm. uh, that's crucial as well, because you can't be asking guests to pick up from a key nest two miles away. That's where London's good because there are key nests everywhere. But in other places, they won't be everywhere. And if mm. you had um, 
you know more of a rural property yes you're very very unlikely to have one very nearby very yeah. but then do you have a do you have a big is there a big block of flats in a rural community Probably okay not. yes yeah. but maybe not maybe you're dealing with more holiday cottages houses seaside houses therefore you there's therefore it's freehold therefore it's not a communal area therefore install a lockbox or have a coded mm. i do like coded locks or remote opening locks yeah 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 i mean if, when you're taking on properties you, there's some stuff that you've got to do you now to make it run smoothly for you in terms of locks and I mean, what kind of locks do you have on your doors and is that a cost that you incur with every property to be like look we want to have this particular automated lock on the property yeah. the owner would pay for it and we usually consult with the owner about it um uh we don't have that many remote locks but we have a couple and they are good and i'm getting more and more into the whole tech thing uh external cctv the recent kind of surge in external cctv by companies like amazon ring doorbells are really good they're really good and um party prevention is a key mm -hmm. thing in airbnb management and and all the rest of it is so uh not internal cctv is that is definitely not allowed and not appropriate of course uh there are other devices called a minute m-i-n-u-t which is a like a smoke detector. It looks like a smoke detector, but it's a noise decibel. It's a decibel reader and it can measure how many devices are in the property. It's very clever. If mm. 20 iPhones walked in at one time, it will know there are 20 iPhones and it will alert you. So the 20 iPhones would equal a party mm. and then you can then respond and shut down that party before it got out of control. So mm. I think I'm on tech here. Again, in the same in the same vein, remote lock, you know, you can look at when it's opened, you can look at when it's closed, even if the door's left open, yeah, it gives mm. you an insight into what's going on at the property without being too invasive. And mm. uh, and we, I can open the door right now on a property from my phone. I can click the button and the door will swing open. Pretty cool when a guest is struggling and fiddling around in the wind and rain for a lockbox. Yeah. Um, Do you get much trouble with parties? Um, um, uh, I've had it before, yeah, uh, in West London. I don't know why always West London, but actually I can narrow it down to West London. Um, usually I've had it probably three or four times in eight years uh, that have been serious. Um, it's very difficult. They're very difficult to to prevent if the booking looks good and authentic. Mm. The worst one we had, they they had reviews. They had five star reviews. That is usually green flag in your go. Yeah. Um, but if that person wants to get out of their head drunk or whatever and invite people over, there's really nothing you can do about it. Uh, mm. Or if they want to go to a wedding and get sozzled and light up cigarettes or, or you know, or worse within a property, they, they can and they have done. Um, so I would say be very careful with properties with large gardens in the summer. They will look for a large garden because they know that you can hang out there there's enough space for everyone to mooch about because often internal internally there's mm. not usually enough space then they can light up barbecues they can smoke and drink to the heart's content and that was the one uh, serious party we had we had a large garden um um i've been far better off in cambridge as it's not really party central and it's something mm. that we've, 
the Airbnb algorithm is now a lot more attuned to filtering out parties. It doesn't let local people book a local property, uh, property local to them anymore. You physically can't do it. Because mm. why is that person booking a house four streets along from where they live? Right? <laughs> that to me says that they're teenagers or or someone who might be looking at for their for their mother or their auntie. Well, they could be doing that. Yeah, they could be doing that. they could be booking it for a relative and it could be quite innocent. However, clearly able to yeah. it's more it's safer to just not allow it because they are because they're looking for a, a bigger place. They're looking for a garden. Maybe they live in a the flat. They're looking for a garden to host 15 friends in mm. a party. So there, there are, I don't know the details of the algorithm, but certainly I see messages all the time that go, this has been blocked. This is red flag. This is high risk. And yeah. we immediately decline it. We are not willing to, to take any risk for the sake of our, our own sanity, as well as our clients and our, their you trust, you trust their algorithm. I do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something else I wanted to talk to you about, um, and I know I'm interested in it. I think some of the listeners would be interested in it as well. And I know that you know a bit about it. And this is um, conferences, short term conferences, rental conferences. Yeah. Um, I know you've been to a load of these and you've got quite a few friends and sort of a bit of a network on these events. Uh, what are some of the good ones? Oh, yeah, um, I love them. And they always seem to be in glamorous locations as well, which is, mm. which is even better. Um, especially when the company pays, because you know yeah. it's a conference, so of course. And uh, um, so Guestival is the best one, and that's put on by Guesty Guestival. See what they've done there, yeah. and they, yeah, uh, it. at uh, Property Management Software, one of the leading, the leading, based in Israel, Tel Aviv. So they've done about three in Tel Aviv. I've been to all of them, and then last year they did Austin, Texas, which was just a fantastic surprise because it was just amazing and they clearly wanted to kind of hit up their american market um so they do so they did it there and then i go to um, 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 um there's a couple in Bar- barcelona seems to be a hot spot i mean you'll have to i can't you know, don't quote me on it st short-term rental they, they call them s sometimes short-term mm. wealth conferences a very quick google search will give you a list and yeah and then they do some london ones which are always fun. And they do them in Tobacco Dock, a very popular conference area in East London. Um, and mm-hmm. then they, they usually, they're always, there's always a do afterwards. There's always drinks, a bit of a party. And uh, I love that because that's just letting your hair down. Just chatting to people who work in your industry is the best bit about it. Sharing stories, especially when you're a sole loan CEO like I am. Yeah. Or, yeah. or founder which a lot of the companies aren't. I don't know if that's to my detriment, but I'm I'm really the the only founder. Um, I just love hearing. Oh God, you 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 got you had that problem too. What did you do about it? And though and then they even in London they do the Shorties Awards. I think the Shorties Shorty with a Z is a uh, newspaper, a short-term rental newspaper, and um, they put on their award ceremony. And I mean I was like. I was dressed up black tie in this sort of posh hotel in Vauxhall. It was all yeah. very corporate, but it was fun. It was silly. I don't know how they narrow down these awards or how they choose. We Did you win anything? No, we weren't up for one. Um, we're not well known enough. And I don't, you know, I don't really care to be. I, I like being a little bit 
<clears throat> under the radar. I don't want to be Black quite under the radar. Yeah. More pressure if you're one of the big ones. And not that we're doing anything wrong or not complying, but there's a lot more focus and attention. Certainly when it's in the papers, they'll go straight to some of the, the big boys out there and throw fire questions at them. And they'll be the first ones to be brought down by a newspaper if there was anything that, God forbid, that went wrong or somebody had an accident in a flat. The Daily Mail would absolutely jump on it should somebody, yeah. have, God forbid, have an accident. There'd be a serious problem like fire or flood. Um, and of course that can happen. It can happen anywhere. And the Daily Mail likes horror stories like that. And the Daily Mail doesn't seem to like Airbnb or or new uh exciting companies i don't know really know why but i don't yeah. think the daily mail likes much do they really that's their um that's their, their, their way of getting getting readers isn't it is to yeah, for everything it. everything to be a scare i'm learning that's what it's, that. that's what it's all fan, about but i'm not anymore i used to be a fan <laughs> i was sucked into those shocking headlines that they like to push yeah yeah so what's next then we're um where, where you are at the moment just recap really quickly where you are now about 70 properties at the moment yeah, yeah. so, so got, zero to 70 in as you say you've kind of let it grow organically you're taking yeah. your time to yeah. develop it in a sort of quite serious and measured way over what eight years did we say about eight yeah. nine years yeah eight years so through covid so there was there was there was 80 and then covid dropped it down to dropped it down to 50 and then the 50 has clawed up to 70 in Cambridge, uh, mainly with those 20, say, being in Cambridgeshire, having mm. focused on Cambridgeshire because we are here now. And uh, my new, and uh, I have two wonderful new colleagues um, from basically from the merger with a, a wonderful little company called Cam Host, which is C A M B for Cambridge Host, mm -hmm. um, who were one of the smaller companies. And just joining, mergers are common in this industry. There's a great company who I'm friendly with, Altido, worth a look. I think they it's an acronym of a life that I dream of. Altido mm -hmm. was a merger of possibly about five or six companies in Europe and England and Scotland. And they've come together because together we're stronger. So I took a little bit of inspiration from that. And um, I see the Altido boys at the conferences and always love hearing, learning from them. So I merged with a small company in Cambridge. And with that has come two colleagues partners whatever you want to call them with a wealth of experience who now run the business with me uh mm -hmm. we have a filipino um call center who work four ladies work for us directly in the philippines that was a that was a big change in my life to help with guest communications and out mm -hmm. of out of hours some more of the you know of course we have a escalation process where questions and problems are escalated to a manager however a lot of the questions can be how do i store my luggage which door do i open i i'm on i'm on john street and i'm trying to find smith street that can be mm. answered by some wonderful um my wonderful team members uh, who 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 are there working right now with headsets from home tapping away those questions answering our a guest uh, landline our guest um phone yeah and, um so that's a big step up there. And then with the senior management coming in to help me as well. And then our housekeeping manager still being that same lady from day one uh, with a network of cleaners. It runs rather well. So we pick up about a couple of properties a month, uh, maybe more, maybe a property a mm. week at the moment. 
until we're going mm -hmm. to get to about 100 and we're going to sort of stop and think there because I don't want to be those people who go bust or who lose sight and who lose control of what they've had I mean I think, it does sound it does sound like you could it could quite it from where you are now it could quite easily happen that you get a lot bigger quite quickly um as you say it's something that you actually distinctly you don't necessarily want to happen and if it does happen you want to be really careful careful about it I suppose it's a nice problem to have isn't it um it is we may be more what's the word particular a little bit more uh, selective on the properties I can definitely now we're definitely out of position to go that uh, that quite respectfully that that old-fashioned flat out in the village over there we're going to we're going to respectfully pass on because it's just not it's just not for us um mm. we can spend our time finding the five bed central house and the Covent Garden penthouse over an 80 pound a night 70 pound a night flat that will make us 10 pounds commission over a property that might make us 300 pounds commission um mm. that's just how it goes I'm afraid but in the past I would not have turned that flat down but we're going to have to start doing that uh I think that's the only way but that's a good as you say a good problem to have it is it is a very good very good problem to have this has been um i think we're drawing to an end now guy this has been like such a fantastic conversation oh, um so just tell the guys who are listening the mm. guys and girls who are listening how they can get in touch with you um if they would like to uh, it sounds like you're incredibly busy um so you might oh. not want to um invite text messages by the sounds of it because you've just managed to to shift all those off to uh, the other side of the world but um text in all messages. seriousness if, um, how can people reach out to you oh that's very kind i'm always happy to speak this is why i'm here and i'm enjoying this very much mike um so i'm happy to be emailed directly at guy g-u-y at the perfect dot host and the website is the perfect dot host and there there's more contact options our portfolio and what we do right there on the website and i'm guy and uh look forward to hearing from anyone thank you okay. so much for me. i'll share those i'll share those details on the show notes for anyone who would like to to see them so please do check them out there guy absolute pleasure to have you on thanks so much for joining us today thank you mike thank you I hope you enjoyed this week's show and remember we have a new conversation with a UK based short term rental expert every week released on a Monday morning. If you enjoyed the show please do leave a review and a 5 star rating this really does help with the search algorithm and helps others to find the show and helps us to grow the show organically. Have a great week and I'll see you next time on TFE.